Hey guys, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast, where you will be inspired, encouraged, and transformed with powerful teachings and real stories of mental health. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling. If you are in a crisis, call or text your local crisis center or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Jesus is in our mental health, and freedom is where we start. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Hello, welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm so excited to have with me Brian Gadawa. Hello, Brian. Hi, Heidi. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, this this is really a treat. I think Brian is a different kind of guest that I have, and I'm excited about this because it's going to push the envelope a little bit. He is a screenwriter, an author, and really powerful storyteller. Um, you have been involved in Hollywood. You you produced a lot of, um, well, I wouldn't say you don't produce, but you've done the screenwriting for many movies that we have heard of. So I would love it if you could just share who you are. And um, also let's get into your testimony. Like, how'd you get into this? Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope that this will be a, an, an interesting <laughs> podcast because there are going to be some, I have some interesting thoughts about the subject matter. Thank you for having me on to talk about it. I do think that um, the issue of understanding faith and imagination and creativity are actually a part of our mental health. I actually, and spiritual health, by the way, so much so that I've even written books on it and such. Um, although I'm, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a professional in that, in that sense, as an artist, it's always been a burden of mine to actually share with particularly with the church, um, I think with Christians, but you know, any religious believers of, of a kind, I think can, can uh, draw from it, from the Bible, basically, you know. My personal journey began, you know, I was born an artist, I tell you that. <laughs> Not everyone is, but um, uh, yeah, so I've always been an artist, but I started out as a visual artist and I ended up as a more of a, a writer as as an artist in in these current days although i still use excessively my uh, visual uh, art talents in everything i do market from marketing to what have you yep but when but i you know when i first uh, grew up as a, a young man in high school um i i had a heart and a soul for meaning and purpose it's it's all i've always been a person and i realize people are different mm -hmm. but i've always had a burning desire to find the per the my purpose and the meaning of life, yeah. even as a young high schooler, seventeen years old, you know, and like I said, I was an artist, and and I had thought that I had hoped as I thought through the realities of life, I thought, you know, we're going to be dead a lot longer than we are alive, and so it made me think, what would give, what would make like me life meaningful? You know, if you look at our life on 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 the look at the timeline of reality and then our little existence is, is but a blip on that timeline, almost Absolutely. insignificant to nothing, right? That's good. And so how can you get, how can you even find meaning? How is there meaning or purpose in that? And I was driven by that even as, even as young, um, a young person in high school. And, and I had thought that, you know, I, I, Michelangelo was my hero. I had thought that if I, maybe if I could achieve a certain amount of fame and, and I don't mm. mean fame like Kardashian fame, I mean like, like Michelangelo fame, where if you create great works of art, you leave something significant on the planet, you know, that can be of a benefit of mm. to humanity in some way, right? And, yeah. and of course, Michelangelo's works of art, 
uh, really did speak a lot to the beauty of human existence, a yeah. lot of the suffering as well. Mm -hmm. He, you know, addressed a lot of that. But, but the reality of death really punctured that for me. And I've always been a person who's been kind of obsessed with death. And I don't mean that in the suicidal sense by any means ever, but it death has always been um, a close friend of mine because it's the one thing that ch that challenges me and reminds me to recognize my mortality and how little time I have left. So therefore, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing anything meaningful? Is there meaning or purpose in my life? And I've always held that close to me. And I remember when I was 17 hmm. and actually a fellow artist did commit suicide and um, he suffered with depression and such, which I had no understanding of in that sense. But it, it was that reality of just, wow, you know, it started making me think of even if I was Michelangelo, I, when I'm dead, so what if they're studying my works? You know, uh, you know, a thousand years from now, we won't be, you know, I'll, everyone will be forgotten. This is what the, the verse in Ecclesiastes talks a lot about. Ecclesiastes is my favorite Bible book because it really talks about that reality of the fool and the wise man are yeah, both soon forgotten. And so we, if you achieve this greatness or significance by creating something good in the world, it's going to be forgotten and you're going to be forgotten. And none of that will, wherever I was, I didn't know where I would be, right? But wherever I was, I wouldn't be able to be in touch with what's going on in this world. So what's the point of anything, really? That was the sort of reality, the, the revelation that forced me to start thinking about what about God, you know? And I've been raised with a, a traditional Roman Catholic background. So I had an exposure to it, but it wasn't a real personal reality for me. Hmm. And, um, but it, it made me start to think more about that reality. And, and actually some Christian students took me to a Christian high school ministry. And there I was introduced to, um, it was more on a high school level, not like the typical religious stuff that I could not connect to. Mm -hmm. You know, they would play games, they would play rock music. Of course, now, this will age me, but this was long before <laughs> I, w I went to the, one of the original contemporary Christian churches, Willow Creek, back in wow. the day. We're talking, we're talking when it was created, okay? That's cool. So, yeah, I went to their to their youth ministry, and they played rock music. And at the time, that was really amazing and shocking. And they did plays. You know, they did these little skits on stage, which again, it's it's normal now. A lot of people are familiar with it, but not back then. Wow. And and then the speaker gave a very relevant message to my life as a, as a young person. And and the point of it was was that they they embraced the imagination and the arts, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And I think that's what really made me sit up and listen to what they had to say. And the basic message, I I soon embraced in my life, which was, oh. Why, why is there no sense of meaning and purpose? And why is there really no sense of God? I mean, where is God? I don't see him. I don't feel him. You know, I mean, he, he's this distant thing that we believe supposedly. It, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I realized, well, the reason why I had that distance was because I was cut off from the relationship with my creator because of my sins, because of the bad things I've done in my life, you know, whether it's lying, cheating, stealing. And eventually, I mean, if you, if, if you compare my life to the Ten Commandments, I've broken all of them. If, if, at least in my heart, maybe I didn't murder someone, but I've hated someone. And Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've murdered them in your heart. So I soon came to realize that the, 
I had a need for, for uh, my creator and that lostness I was feeling was because of that sin separating me from him. And then, the, you know, the, we've all heard the phrase, you know, Jesus died for our sins. What does that mean? Well, the reality of it came home to me when I understood that it was like I was, I was in the court of cosmic law and God the judge had his ga- gavel and you're guilty and, and the punish, the wages of sin is death. And, and so then, but then he says, but then he stops out and he says, uh, capital punishment, right? I mean, spiritual capital punishment. And, yeah. and, and then he says, but wait, stop. My son steps out and his son comes and says, I will sit in the electric chair for you. And that made sense to me. Oh, so he will pay the penalty because it, you must have justice. If it's not a just universe or a just God, then, right. then why follow him, right? Well, he's a right. just God, but he's also a loving God and he's a forgiving God. And the way that forgiveness is accomplished is through that, that personal faith loyalty to Jesus. And then he takes that place. He dies for my sins in my place. And the, the payment is, is paid. Justice is meted out. And his love is, the, is in the fact that he takes it upon himself. You know, he suffers for all the world, you know, type yeah. of thing. And yeah. so for me, as a, I've always been a creative person. And I, I have a, as a creative type, I've kind of got a dual, I've kind of got a bipolar mentality where I'm, uh, sorry, I'm using all these psychological terms as metaphors. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> but uh, I've always seen myself as kind of bipolar in the sense that I love art, creativity, movies. I just love the imagination. But I've also had this love for reason, rationality, philosophy. And so okay. I, I've, and, and those are, those are really competing sort of um, uh, sensibilities in the person because uh, I do believe that they're both part of reality, but, mm-hmm. but people who have one or the don't tend to have the other, we tend to be sort of polar along the continuum you're either one or the other type of thing yeah yep but i I, i've always felt both of them and and in in light of that my transformation my in my life like that my faith transfer transform transformation was not and it was not like a typical emotional one because i was never i was never really a bad person by the world standards you know i didn't sleep around mm-hmm. even as a young kid i didn't have sex didn't take drugs didn't do any of it i didn't i didn't want to it, it didn't matter it just wasn't mm-hmm. interesting to me mm-hmm. but like i said i realized but i i violated all of god's commands at least in my heart or lying cheating etc and i had pride you know mm-hmm. i had the pride that i wanted to be in control of my life and in yeah. a way that's the ultimate <laughs> sin of all isn't it mm-hmm. c.s lewis said that that's sort of the the prime sin right yeah and out of which all other sins flow and and realizing that made me realize that you know what i really was the the, the bad news was i really was worse than i had thought mm-hmm. but the good news yeah. was but god loved me more than i could imagine yeah. and so um it was a it was a kind of a rational decision that I made for Aww. Christ. I didn't break down and ball and all this. I just yeah. realized, you know what, this is the truth and this makes sense. Yeah. And I've always lived my life seeking to understand what's the truth and to follow the truth, no matter where it leads. And sometimes where it leads is very uncomfortable, mm. but my goal has always been to, to follow the truth. And mm. I don't poo poo emotions. I'm just saying I didn't have the, the dramatic, you know, breaking down the floor, crying and all that. Mm-hmm. I had, I had experiences later, but, but I made that commitment to Christ. And then I started following him and 
I, he started showing me the, the depths of my depravity in my soul and cleansing yeah. me and, and working uh-huh. with me through, through my issues. And, you know, obviously I don't believe anyone ever is perfected in this life. So I still struggle today, but Christ works through these issues with me. And, um, but he also did that. He also did something that, that transformed my life. When I, when I gave my life to him, when I submitted to him, then I finally found the eternal significance and purpose of my life that I had wanted and needed. And that becomes now my personal message. My purpose in life is to, I'm still an artist Mm -hmm. and I still continue to communicate, but now I had the meaning and purpose and one that lasted for eternity and doesn't vaporize with life, right? Death Mm -hmm. is the equalizer of everything. In fact, one could, one could argue in, in, you know, within this uh, sort of within the secular world of thinking, right, you know, evolution or whatever, um, there's no God. In a way, if that's what you believe, then death is your God, because death is the only absolute. And death is the eternal, um, it's the eternal, it's the only eternal thing in that worldview, right? And so really, if you don't have God, you only have death, and death is your God in a very real sense, I think. Wow. And so these, these are the so things, good. these are how I think, and, and so these are the good. things I want to express. Yeah. So I had this transformation, and then God started changing me from the inside out. It was not like, okay, I cleaned up my life or anything like that. It's just he started showing me. It was like The Matrix. Remember the movie The Matrix, which is now an yeah. old classic? Yeah. But The Matrix was one of my favorite movies. I don't like everything about it, but there was some metaphors that really captured my experience, and that was... Remember when uh, Neo took the red pill because he wanted to know what reality was, even though it was suffering. And then he wakes up in the pod and he pulls that thing out, to, you know, and 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 he realizes everyone around him is a slave and he had been a slave and reality was not what he thought. Well, that's what it was for me to become a Christian. Uh-huh. And I started ch- changing the way I saw and understood the, the world around me. That's and that became my sort of my message, I guess, my my heart's desire to communicate, you know, um, like Neo, th- I found this other, there's this other world and it's reality and it's not always happy, but it's the truth. Yeah. And, and, um, and uh, more than anything, I, it doesn't, I, I, it doesn't matter if I ever get famous or not. It, it doesn't matter. It's not fame and significance is not the thing I need. What I need is the God of that fame, the God of significance and knowing my creator is, is the essence of of my redemption in my heart and in my imagination and in my life. And so I now seek to honor him and seek to communicate the truth I've found or the truth that found me. Mm-hmm. And, and I do so regardless of the consequences. And sometimes I'm rejected for it. Um, I could give examples where, you know, as I pursued a life in Hollywood, you know, people finding out I was a Christian, I would lose work. But but it doesn't matter because it's not about me achieving anything in this world. And look, you know, I mean, we're human beings, so I still have, sometimes that creeps in, you know, and you start to think like, if I could only, if I can only win an award, maybe they'll listen more to my message or something, you know? So uh, becoming a Christian doesn't make you perfect and doesn't make Mm -hmm. you, you know, holy or any, you know, you still struggle with these things, Mm -hmm. but I keep finding myself turning back to Christ and, and, and realizing, you know, it's my service to him is all that matters, regardless of whatever success there is. And, and I do think that we've, you know, particularly with social media, with how this world has exploded, um, people want to be, have their 
15 minutes of fame. They think that if I can get something famous on the internet with a podcast or with a social media or mm -hmm. whatever, they're because that's more able now than it was 30 yeah. years ago, right. people are driven by that desire to, f to have that sort of meaning through having some kind of fame, you know? So it's a reality that I'm, I'm very aware of around me. And I don't, you know, I guess that would be my message to, to people like that is, is, you know, all you really have to look forward to is death. And so find the redemption that, that you can find in your creator through the blood of Jesus Christ, you know? Wow, and so that's yeah. where I that's where I ended up uh, in high school, and mm -hmm. i i took I took that with me as I moved forward, and then my my creative life, my imagination life, also has a, a, a journey of transformation as well. But that's, I guess, is what I would call the setup for it all. You know? Yeah. And, and, so, it yeah. let me let me just ask you because um, this kind of feels like a good point your fascination with death to me is is something that i think a lot of christians don't actually take seriously enough um where i think we have a lot of lukewarm we have a lot of apathy happening kind of this i don't really care and and i even think kind of depression and just kind of just let, like you said you go on no purpose in this passion so i feel like this could be a good spot for you to talk about like our biblical worldview and even what apologetics is and why that's important um, because I think it has to do with your work and your creativity and even why you write what you write. So can you educate on us on what apologetics is and why this is important to know? Sure. And it's also very relevant within my, my personal narrative because that's the point at which when I became a Christian, I'm, you know, I became very aware of the, I went into college and I immediately got assaulted by a lot of unbelief and skepticism and doubt. And I'm a curious person and I want to know the truth. So uh, these challenges, well, that makes sense. What about that? You know, how can, you know, whatever, you know, uh, how can there be a loving God if there's evil in the world? Yeah. How can the yep. Trinity, Trinity sounds like three gods, whatever. And you name it, the kind mm -hmm. of things that, or the Bible is contradictory, right? Well, I took that seriously and I was driven to find the answers and those answers can be found in apologetics and so i've always been driven by and again that's kind of my intellectual side that that i've always had mm -hmm. apologetics is that it, well you know the, the classic verse that all christian apologists will will quote is first peter three fifteen, and and here's what it says in your hearts honor christ the lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So there's the heart and there's the mind, right? Mm. Uh, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your wholeness you, we should seek him. But nonetheless, we must always be prepared to make that defense of our faith to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect and having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may, may be put to shame. So that's sort of the classic verse that apologists use. And so the idea there is, is that um, God's commanding us to be prepared to defend that faith that we have. It's, it doesn't do to just say, well, I just believe and, or, well, okay. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you're disproving creation with evolution or whatever, you know, but I just still believe anyway, cause it's just my religious belief. But both of those approaches are really fallacious and will lead you to self-destruction spiritually in my mind. Now, not everyone's cut out to, to uh, be Christian apologists, but everyone's 
is commanded to at least try to defend the faith as best you can. So that requires some studying of the Bible and studying of its reliability uh, beyond just reading it. And, and I think that that's a big problem of modern evangelicalism is they may read their Bible, but they don't study the Bible. And um, there's a need to really seek, seek answers to these questions that, that are around you. And, and that's a legitimate thing. So I, I, I've been driven to find those answers. And there's a danger, there's a danger to it in that you can become hyper-rationalized. You can become uh, intellectually uh, focused, too much head knowledge, not enough heart knowledge. You know, those phrases yep. are sort of, yep. I think they're vulgar slogans, but there's some truth to them, okay? And, 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 and that is a danger, but here's the thing. There's two aspects of this that I think apologetics does. One is it increases your faith. The problem is that when you or, or the problem is, is that Christian evangelicals are just reading the Bible. And so then when they go to college or when they finally face like uh, good skeptical arguments, whether it's from Sam Harris or Bart Ehrman is a really big one now, um, you know, Bart Ehrman will come and will he'll he'll illustrate the textual problems with the Old and the New Testament. And there are textual problems with the text transmission. But this is something that no, no Christians tend to teach. It's certainly not in churches. They just say, well, just, it's, it's the Word of God. It's perfect. So just, that's it. It's got, yeah. and they don't realize yeah. that, well, unfortunately, you're reading an English translation, which isn't perfect. And they're not really sure about some of the words. There are problems with the text transmission. That doesn't mean it's not the word of God. But what it does mean is the way that we're perceiving the word of God is not very educated and not very biblical. So when you come face to face with a Bart Ehrman for the first time and you hear the facts that he's announcing, and, and some of them are facts, but he has a way of marshalling them within his spin, right? But nonetheless, there's a lot of facts that Christians have not been taught to dealt with, deal with. And then you, you, it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, the Bible is not the word of God. It's all full of all these contradictions. And, and that's where many Christians will lose their faith because they haven't been equipped to deal with these doubts. Yeah. And they've just been sort of told to, you know, just believe and God's yeah. above all of man's silly, uh, you know, whatever. And, and they're not really uh, taking the challenges on and really looking to find those answers. Oh, so, so and, and so what I think is it increases our faith. Hmm. And a, a lot of times, you know, it, it is a way to defend the faith to unbelievers. But I think there's a misnomer in that some Christians think that, well, you know, if I can get all boned up with apologetics, I can have all the answers to all the doubts. And when the atheist comes to me and throws out the doubts, I throw out the answers. And then he'll just have to believe because I'll answer all the objections. And that's really a fundamental misunderstanding because the unbeliever, according to the Bible the, in Romans 1, the unbeliever does not have intellectual problems with God. His intellectual problems are the cover or the smokescreen to cover over his moral problems. Mm -hmm. The Bible says that all, all human beings know God in Romans 1.18. They know God from, there's a certain degree of knowledge of him, right? Not saving knowledge, but there's a, there's a knowledge of God from creation and God put it in us. Yeah, he created us all. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And he created us in his image. So even though uh, an atheist may hate him, he's still in God's image and God has that in his conscience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a knowledge of God that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Mm. That's what Romans one says. Mm. And so the problem is really a moral problem. And so apologetics, you're not going to argue a person into the kingdom of God. Now that doesn't, the other extreme is just as bad, which a lot of more emotionally focused uh, Christian faiths will say, yeah, you're not, you can't argue with anyone in the, in the kingdom of God, so don't bother. Just proclaim the gospel to them. And that's just as bad because you're just proclaiming a hollow, a hollow uh, tube to someone that doesn't address the problems that, that are legitimately there that need to be addressed. What do you think and about so, loving the hell out of them? Yeah. Okay. In the end, a person will be, uh, will be um, transformed by our love for one another and by our love for them. Absolutely. So, so there's, there's a holistic approach, obviously, that needs to right. take place. Right. So I think both of those poles are wrong. You know, the sort of like, don't use your mind or think that somehow that you can persuade them, argue them into the yeah. kingdom of God, no, both those good. extremes. And somewhere in between, you've got to use your mind. You've got to try to give answers. Like the Bible says, give an, a re answer for the reason, a reason for the hope that is in you. Mm -hmm. And like you said, and do it with loving, as it says in the verse, mm -hmm. do it with gentleness and respect. That's that yeah. love, the loving kindness. Yeah. And so you're right. And that many testimonies, including my own, involve, I became a Christian mostly because one person had patience with me and continued to be my friend, even though I had problems and issues, et cetera. And eventually his consistency of being a friend to me allowed me to open up and God used that for his Holy Spirit to come inside of me. So I love uh, yeah, this. It's, this yeah. it's definitely a holistic package, but the apologetics yeah. is a part of it. Yeah. And so if the anti-intellectualism, of course, Christianity has always been accused, fundamentalists back in the day were accused of being anti-intellectual, and they were to, to some degree. And so I think we still have that problem today, and we need mm -hmm. to rectify that by, by applying our minds more to our faith and finding some of these answers. But Which is what you did by becoming yes, a screenwriter, and, and author. My faith. Yeah, yeah. Because see, here's the yeah. thing. Here's mm -hmm. the thing. In the Bible itself, God says, trust me, like he'll say, trust me to Moses, to Abraham. And what does he say? Because I delivered your forefathers, because I you know, delivered you through the Red Sea. In other words, there's this kind of, when you see how God has delivered in the past, or when you see how he has done his works um, in the past, that's a foundation for you to trust him now. So the more answers you find to these problems with the Bible, you know, that you may have, or that skeptics have, mm -hmm. it increases your faith because you, you get those answers. But secondly, you get a deeper understanding of God, because I can assure you, and this isn't just head knowledge, that when you like, say, say someone is, you know, challenges the Trinity, you know, oh, that's three gods. That's, you know, there's only supposed to be one God. How is that possible? And you go, well, that's a good point. How do I answer that? And you dig into the Bible and you study the issue and you, you seek to understand God. You, you're studying the Trinity, right? That, that activity itself brings you into much deeper connection with God. You start to see how, how God communicates himself. Oh, here's where he communicates himself as one. Here's where he communicates himself as a plurality. And then how do they work together? And that pursuit gives you a deeper understanding of God's word. And you start to see, wow, God's word is, is really deep. And the deeper you go, 
you can find the more you you come to understand God better. Yes. And so apologetics has a way of deepening your own faith with God yeah. and deepening your your connection to him. Right. Which so, I think will win -win. affect. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I also believe that this is, will affect our mental health. It'll affect our wellness. Like if we are able to really answer the, the why and the, the what's and, and to kind of question and get in there. So I want to make sure that we have time to talk about a little bit of your work. Like I would love to hear you talk about the storyline behind cruel logic. And because I think so many people are interested in like, you know, you know, murder, mysteries and and just you know we're we're captivated by what hollywood sh shows us and and you really i mean this is why i'm just so encouraged by what you do and that you know for others to to be encouraged by this because god wants us to take our gifts and to actually use it into places where other people what might as well have christians doing the same thing but it's with god's lens the kingdom lens so talk about your recent book and and sure um, yeah, so we can kind of, and how we can find it too. Sure. Well, I just released it within the last couple of weeks called, and it's a novel called Cruel Logic, yep. The Philosopher Killer. Mm -hmm. And what it is, as you mentioned already, it is a, it's a serial killer novel, kind of like a Dean Koontz or a Stephen King, right? Yeah. And um, so it's on that, it's got, it's in that, that genre. But the basis mm -hmm. of the story is there's a serial killer on a woke college campus. <laughs> And he happens to be a professor of philosophy. And so what he does is he captures other university professors and he debates them and videotapes the debate. And the topic of the debate is his moral right to kill them. And so in other words, they have to actually debate for their lives. And so he'll, he'll, he'll challenge them and he'll say, well, look, if, if what you say is true about reality, give me one valid reason why I should not kill you and I'll let you go. What? Really? Well, so, you know, he gets an evolutionary biologist. He gets a, um, a queer theorist, you know, he gets all these various professors with the varying philosophies, a philosophy professor as well. And he challenges them. And, um, that's the sort of the premise of it. And as each of these professors then are unable to, provide a proper moral foundation for their for for life itself within their worldview they it starts to unravel and the uh there's a cop and a psychologist who's actually brought in to try to find this guy because he's escaped and and um the psychologist works at the at the university and uh the psychologist is kind of like a jordan peterson type of a character he's a he's a professor of of psychology um, and he also deals somewhat with criminal psychology, but he is also a person who is uh, um, trying to support Western civilization to bring back some of it into the university. Because if you know about the modern universities, over the last, you know, uh, 60 plus years, there's, you know, the, the Western civilization has been sort of a requirement in some of the graduation uh, of, of the students. So like you'll come and you'll have to at least take a couple courses in Western civilization, Western philosophy, or, you know, mm -hmm. what have you, Western art to learn mm -hmm. about our heritage. That's the point, right? 
And so, but, but modern universities, as they become more woke, they have also gotten rid of this Western civilization. Now, my character is trying to bring it back in. And if you've seen even more, even recently as 20, know, like 2016, Stanford students actually tried to bring back Western civ classes into their university and they were, they were just crunched by the administration. So this kind of stuff is really going on. And the interesting thing about it is Western civilization is also strongly found uh, is 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 strongly rooted in a judeo-christian worldview and so if you take away western civilization if you attack it and destroy it you're also attacking and destroying christianity hmm. and the bible and a lot of college professors know that and that is what they're trying to do hmm. so i i bring this whole you know big picture uh concept into the storyline and deals with well, what happens when you get rid of God? What are the consequences? Ideas have consequences. If you teach in the university for all these decades that um, there, there is no God and man is just evolving molecules and, um, you know, or, or what have you, or reality is, is self-created, right? We create our own identities. Mm -hmm. There is no absolute, there's no objective transcendent mm -hmm. standard. When you do that, what are the ultimate consequences? And it's played out as my serial killer is sort of making that philosophical point and, and, and a bit more, I don't want to give away the twists, but uh, the cop and the psychologist are trying to, to track him down. And in the meantime, then I have a second sort of dominant storyline that drove me in, the, in my story. And, and that is the story of, a, of an evangelical Christian who has a very weak faith and he comes to college as a freshman for his first year. It's a fictional college in California. And he gets caught up in social justice and into the woke movement. And he, he starts down a pathway of what we call Christian deconstruction. Yeah. That's a phenomenon now that's really talked yeah. about or Christian deconversion. Mm -hmm. And all it is is just Christians who are sharing their journeys of how they lost their faith. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is because over time they face these doubts and skeptic, skeptical issues, or a lot of it's usually peer pressure, quite frankly, of uh, acceptance of LGBTQ people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think because of the, of course, we've always had people going to college, losing their faith. <laughs> I mean, that's been going on yes. forever. Or, but yeah, the just the rebellion, the rebellion. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a common <laughs> thing, but they call it now deconversion. And, and I think because there's a lot of podcasts now of people sharing their journeys like this and Christian, famous Christian pastors and Christian um, musicians have done this. So I think it's a little bit more in the, in the, the public eye. Well, I wanted, to, I wanted to address that in my story and tell the story of a Christian and, and how he's, he's caught up into that in a way because he's not equipped, because he's not prepared to deal with it. And what, where does that end? Where is the logical end of that? Hmm. And how these stories sort of crash together at the end. Wow. And so that's, that's sort of the premise of it. It's, it's, a, it's a harsh novel. So I will, I will tell you, there's some language in it. And it's, it's, I, don't do, I don't show the gruesome violence, you know, but there's, you know, I describe crime scenes. Imagine you know, Silence of Lambs, but with yeah. a Christian worldview. Imagine yeah. the movie Seven, but with a Christian yeah. worldview. It's not excessively um, grotesque, but there is some bad language because I need to capture the reality of the university. And in yeah. the university, there is a very profane 
language that's going on there. Not only is it do, do they attack everyone for they call, call everyone they don't agree with Nazis and Hitler and yeah. you know fascists, but they also use the F word a lot. And this, I believe, is an expression. We, we have this kind of language, excessive language. I think it's an expression mm -hmm. of an inner violence and hostility mm -hmm. that will lead to outer violence and hostility. So mm -hmm. I, I had some of that. I have some of that in there. So if, if, mm -hmm. if you're a sensitive soul, it may not be for you. But my goal is, is to capture the moment that we're now in. Yeah. This, the moment of wokeness that has captured all of the institutions in our culture yeah. and, and our society. Where did it come from? It ultimately came from the university is my, is my point. So I tell wow. the story of the university. I embody wow. all of that in there. And I try to, you know, address the society that we're living in, but do it within a context of, of what would be called a, an entertaining genre story about a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, and this is what's so, out there though. So to have yeah. you be doing this, I mean, I, can you, and we're getting close to the end. I would love for you to kind of touch on the importance of like you doing this and you being a Christian creative in the marketplace that, you know, we don't all have to be called into like ministry. You know, this is your, to me, this is your ministry, but we don't all have to be a pastor or in ministry, like more the you know, what we think ministry is, you know, that you don't have to work at a church, you don't have to work at a church yeah. or it doesn't have to be a nonprofit. Um, but can you just share a little bit about the importance of really following that calling? Because um, I think there's many of us that have struggles with our, um, what do we do our purpose? And to me, you are just a perfect example of somebody who has followed what the Lord has called you to do in an arena that is making an impact. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying because I, I've I've had that struggle myself in my life where we we look at people who do quote full time Christian ministry as if we aren't full time Christians, you know. Mm -hmm. But we, we we struggle with that because look, yeah. if you look at you see someone's devoting all their time to Bible study, teaching other Christians, discipling them, and building the Church of Christ, I, I can see how that can you can tend to see wow that's really that's a life being used for God's kingdom, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that part, this, this is also a, uh, a negative mindset hmm. that I do think is not biblical. And even from the time, even from the time that I was young, I, I was introduced to this uh, Christian thinker named Francis Schaeffer. And he introduced me to a lot of thinking from the Reformation, where the Reformation was a time where they really brought home because think about it, they're in the context of, of um, you know, the church, the, the Roman church was just the dominating force. And it was very clerical. You know, you had to really, the priests and the clerical authorities are everything and you just do what you're told and all that. And so along come these men that say, you know what? Every priest is a believer in the Bible. So you as a Christian, who's a, a shoemaker, you're a priest of God, right? Come on. Everything yep. we do, do all things uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes. And, and they, they, they help yeah. to separate this secular sacred dichotomy is what they called it. What that means is we have this mindset, well, this secular stuff we do is like our job, our normal life, watching TV, whatever, you know, eating, blah, 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 secular things. But then our sacred things are studying the Bible, fellowshipping, praying, etc. Now, it's true that we have those things in our life, but seeing them as these separate worlds is the fall fallacy. And according to the Bible, everything we do, we can eat to the glory of God. There's an 
I can't remember yes. who it was, if it was Luther or some Christian mystic who said, you know, I, a Christian um, monk who said, I can, I can wash dishes to the glory of God. That's yeah, that not was, just a joke. Yeah. Yeah, I know who you, you're you know talking who said about. That? Yeah, well, yeah, no, it's like a little tiny little book. Um, Brother Lawrence, oh. maybe? Yeah, Brother Lawrence. You're yeah. right. You're right, Brother yep. Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. So it's, but, but what does that really mean? And how do we really live, live that out? I think it's a two-step process. When we, it's when you help, when you start to realize this, like, wow. So therefore, you know, as a Christian, if you're a plumber, you can glorify God by doing excellent plumbing, doing, being the best plumber, giving, not lying, not cheating your clients. You know, all these things are part yes. of the glorification of God, yeah. right? And then also, but then also you, you, when you have a vision for, but I want to disciple the world, disciple the nations like Jesus commanded. And so I'm not going to just go to church and let the, 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 the pastors do the work or let the people in the full-time Christian ministry do the work. I am called to do that as well. So I'm also going to be involved in discipling and, and how can I do that? And it doesn't look the same for everybody. There are, you know, you know, you could, not everyone's gifted the same way. You don't have to lead a Bible study, okay? May, you don't have to be a leader or uh, the, 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 main, the main focus or anything. Maybe, maybe you're just a person who's really good at, at um, hospitality and, and, and you, you'll have to bake, bake cookies for your neighbors and bring them yeah. over. You, you can do that as a ministry. And if you understand that we're, we are to, like Greg Kokel often says, he's an apologist, bloom where you're planted. Don't look at where you, oh, if I was be full time or if I was doing this, just wherever you are, just bring Jesus as much as you can as, and, and stop, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And yeah. it's amazing how the normal person, if they're just not ashamed of talking about Jesus to people, how often and how many times they can lead people to Christ and, and learn how to share the gospel in a way that's, that's effective and that's, you know, helpful so to people. Good. Oh, just, that's just, so you good. know, sort of sitting back and consuming Christian culture. Yeah. And then maybe sometimes you talk about God, but do you know how to, do you know how to, to uh, communicate the gospel of salvation in a real connected way with people? Yeah. You can do all this. And, you know, in fact, sometimes I have a bias. I have to confess, I have a bias against the pastors and the full-time Christian workers, because think about it. 95% of the body of Christ are not those people. I and know, so, I know. So God know. is using more people who are not pastors and yes. full-time Christian ministers, so to speak, yes. right? Yeah. And when you have that worldview, you embrace it and you see, and then you apply it in your life. And mm. it's always been a personal mission of mine to, to do that. Now, mm. as I'm an artist, and so there's not a lot of people who are artistic, but I also, as an artist, I've also come to understand that the imagination is a part of our faith that we often, in the same way that we don't use our intellect enough, mm -hmm. we don't use our imagination enough. Yeah. Um, and so I've even, you know, shameless act of self-promotion here. I've written some books on it. One of them is called The Imagination, wait, it's called The Imagination of God. Oh, and, um, and it was amazing. my attempt. Yeah, it's my attempt to explain how our imagination creativity god uses so much of creativity in the bible hmm. he uses parables he yes. uses drama he yes. uses pictures he uses visuals so in good. fact most of the bible about I, I i went through the whole thing and roughly the bible is about at most 30 percent 
or less prop I'd say 20 to 30% propositional truth. And what I mean by that is that's the rational description of doctrine, you know, like this yeah. is the doctrinal truth, right? Which is good, yeah. but yeah, but about 70 to 80% of it is narrative, mm. story, poetry, songs, yeah. creativity, and imagination. Come on. And so, yeah. so if you want to understand God, yes, doctrine is a part of that. You, you must, you must seek to have a proper doctrine of God, but there's a whole wide open understanding of, of, of understanding of God through the imagination as you're reading the Bible. As you read these stories, you're, you're following the stories, you're reading the parables, you're, you're coming to understand God better through creative imagination. And so that's what so I good. do. And that's this what I so try good. to encourage people to do with yeah. their lives as well, particularly others who might be storytellers or, or you yeah. know, artists of some kind, but also just our, any any normal christian should understand we we can seek and know god through all of these components of our of our humanity our emotions yes mm -hmm. but our intellect mm -hmm. and if and and our imagination and look at your own life and and ask yourself you know where am i where have i suppressed what what component yeah. have i suppressed maybe i'm a more emotional person and all oh, the mind stuff that's just head knowledge i Maybe you need to start pursuing a little bit of that to give more balance into your life. Or maybe if you're an intellectual type who doesn't, doesn't respect imagination or, you know, like there was a point in my life where I thought, you know, personal test, when you study apologetics, you, you realize the power of reason and rationality and you realize logical fallacies uh. and a personal story is technically a logical fallacy. But yet, what does the Bible say? Give your personal testimony. How many yes. times have people gotten saved through personal testimonies? Exactly. So logic and reason doesn't always connect with everything that's needed. Okay. So maybe you should explore the imagination a little bit more if you're too much focused on the mind. Oh, and uh, all of us Brian, have these so imbalances. All yeah, of us so, do. so how can the listeners get a hold of some of your movies, your books. I mean, I know you're on Amazon. They can get from your website. I mean, where would you like us to go? What's the best place? Sure. Well, my website, gadawa.com, very simple. My name, G-O-D-A-W-A.com. If you want to know more, learn more about me, I, I try to make it a very interesting website with a lot of cool stuff on there. You can find <laughs> out about all my series and, and a lot of free stuff too, a lot of free articles yep. and you can access. Awesome. But but if you want to go straight to my books, you know, I'm exclusively on Amazon.com and most everything I've written, you know, like 20 some odd books has is on wow. Kindle, paperback and audiobook awesome. and exclusively on Amazon. And, you know, you go there and you find the author page. You can, every book description has a, a very detailed description. So you can find out everything about me probably just by going there too. Yep. And that's yep. how you can find out what kind of books you might be interested in buying. Yeah. So make sure to get, get his, some of his books and then also leave a review because I know what it's like as an author. Make sure to leave an Amazon yes. review. Um, yeah, I would love it if you could pray for us. Like you have so, this has been so inspiring for me. I would love it if you could pray. Okay, I will. Lord, thank you for this time to, to share about you, to talk about you. You are, you are the creator of the universe. You are our redeemer. You are our sustainer. Without you, we couldn't go on. We couldn't exist. We couldn't have um, forgiveness. Thank you for all these things that we have in Christ Jesus. And I do pray for um, anyone who may have been been listening today that that you would um, open minds and hearts to expand each of our 
our souls to be more balanced in how we address you, Lord, whether it's emotions, intellect, or imagination. I pray that you would show each of us where we can um, grow to learn you more holistically. And uh, because that's what it's all about, Lord Jesus, just to know you more. And I, um, we thank you for your uh, grace and redemption in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This is wonderful to have you on. Thank you for having me, Heidi. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensenLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.